Fam, if there's one thing Christians get wrong <laughs> consistently is sex. Sex, boy, just trips people up in the Christian realm. Listen to some of these damn sayings that they have. Suzanne and Jeremy are curious about a lot of things, just like you. Suzanne and Jeremy are part of a family. There are all kinds of families. But God's plan for every family is the same. Dad, how long does it take a baby to grow inside a mother? And how does a baby start to grow? It takes about nine months for a baby to grow large enough to be born. And how the baby started is another of God's miracles. You know that when a man and woman love each other and decide to get married and spend the rest of their lives together, they show their love in many ways. When a boy becomes a man, many changes take place. But one of the most important is this, Jeremy. In the scrotum, the bag of skin that hangs behind the penis, are the testicles. God is happy when two people decide to get married and start their life together with his blessing. He made a husband and wife for living together and showing their love to each other all their life. At very special times, they like to hold each other close. God made their bodies so they fit together in a wonderful way. At one of those special love times, the sperm from the man's body can go into the woman's body. Sometimes a sperm and an ovum join in the mother's body. That is when a new baby begins. And families are people living together. Having good times together. Helping each other. Forgiving and loving each other the way Jesus does. It's all part of God's plan. God damn. Told y'all. Well, this week, we getting into a little something-something with the sexiness. Oh, yeah. Profane face in the house, boy. And now I guess he feels a little bit emboldened. He must be careful with what he says. I think we've got to see that a riot is the language of the unheard. Uh, racism is essentially a white problem. For you to understand what racism is about, you're going to be so uncomfortable. As Christians, we love the homosexual and the transgender. Homosexuality is sin. You know, everybody's like, you taught that from school, everywhere. Big business, you want to be successful, you want to be like Trump. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Push, 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 push. Step, step, step. Crush, crush, crush. This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. We won't be trying to answer difficult questions. Rather, we'll be engaging them and asking better ones regarding faith, race, gender, and religion. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. All right, fam. All right. Welcome back. Welcome back. 
to another another episode of Profane Faith in season six. How we doing out there, folks? How we doing? You living large? You living right? You living like sprite and tight? You living just right? Huh? Ah, uh, yeah, buddy. I thought y'all, y'all, y'all thought brother was gonna be breaking it down. Yeah, come on now. Um. Well, anyways, hope you're doing good. Um. Hope you enjoyed the uh, first round, the first uh, round of uh, of episodes here in season six. There's um, yeah. There's there's a lot, man. There's a lot going on. There's when you start thinking about just with the uh, the devil and Satan. Satan. Uh, I know there's a new meme going on uh, across the internet. You've probably already seen it. Um, the one with it, it's it's talking about um, COVID and how the COVID numbers uh, equal you know up to six six six, and this is the devil's last stand, and this and this and that. So crazy shit, fam. I'm telling you, man, watch that stuff. We ain't, we ain't done with the satanic panic. Uh, Doctor Megan Goodwin was great. I'm gonna have to definitely get them back on uh, the air here, and uh, we're gonna be talking more about. Um, just, just what does that look like? And especially the afterlife, like, what does that, uh, mean? And, you know, can we talk to the dead? Is it just our imagination? What do evil spirits look like? What do, you know, um, you know, again, places have hauntings. Uh, this is something that I think, um, we need to explore. That's what this, you know, part of what this podcast is about. Um, and, you know, moving beyond what we see and hear as a social construct of religion and faith. Uh, how do we begin to actually explore some things? So we're going to be diving into that um, this week. You know, another hot subject, uh, sex and sexuality. Um, if there's something that really trips people up a lot, it's this subject, especially in religious faith. Right. The, the amount of oppression, the amount of sexism that exists, the amount of people that still have some ass backward views in regards to sex in regards to sexuality human sexuality um you know and just even the topic of masturbation right we, we don't even have good healthy conversations around that uh, other than to just not do it right don't do it um you know uh your eyes are gonna burn out or some crazy shit like that um it, it, it's just it's crazy to me right just how how we interpret uh this this understanding of sex literally the social construct of sex is insane in my opinion around this country because so much of it has been repressed so much of it has been so much of it has been destroyed i mean we think about sexual abuse when you think about you know how many folks have been abused out there um and now just have a sour taste about that who you know when you start thinking about just you know how people identify when you think about gender sexual orientation um people who are asexual who do pan who are pan uh, people who are bisexual i mean all these things and then just the misnomers and stereotypes that exist out there in regards to sex and sexuality it's stupendous and i always said i've said it on the show i say it in class and i'll keep saying it whatever conversation and advancement we've made on uh race and ethnicity uh you can easily subtract a century from that and that's where we're at with gender and sexuality easily um if not more there are still plenty of folks that believe women um, right. Well, they really still believe that, you know, there's just two, the binary genders. Right. But that women uh, in that construct, in that binary construct, that women should, you know, just be at home and taking care of kids. 
um, and having babies. I mean, people still believe that shit, yo. Um, and I'm kind of always kind of dumbfounded when I hear some stuff about that or, you know, even churches that are still having the gender conversation, right? Can, um, you know, can, um, can women preach? And I'm just like, really, man, we, we, uh, we, no. So yeah, <laughs> some crazy shit, y'all. And I was just like, well, I gotta, I, I, I want to continue having, we've had discussions on this show, um, previous discussions, you know, on profane faith in regards to sex and sexuality. And I want to continue uh, to look at that and, you know, what does a healthy sexuality look like? Um, and beyond purity culture, not the purity culture shit, right? Uh, where folks tell you to go out and take a cold shower or take a run, you know, rather than just telling you, you man, just, just, you know, just go rub one out, man. Just, you know, go, go on to bed, right? Go on, have a, have a, uh, um, a, 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 a nice night. Um, so I think it's important. I think it's important to begin to, ha to have these conversations around sex and, and a better understanding of what it means to be a a, a healthy sexual being. Uh, now, and I'll be the first to admit, you know, I'm still learning. I'm still engaged with the process of learning that because I realized I was taught a very ass backwards way uh, of, of human sexuality uh, in many regards. Um, I mean, I do credit my mom for, you know, helping me have difficult conversations. I, I never really felt like her and I had a, you know, the, the awkward conversation about sex. Um, it, it was just kind of always present. My mom was very open about that stuff. So there was never no awkwardness about birds and bees. It's just like, no, nah, I, I understand where the birds and the bees come from. I ain't, you know, I ain't having no sex with that damn shit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, but, you know, I think when it came to the other men in my life, I heard a line in a movie of the day and it was, it was so just triggering and activating. It was, uh, it was a guy talking to another guy. Uh, and one of the guys perceived the other man as being kind of soft or whatever, a Nancy, as they called uh, this guy. And they were like, you know, don't let your mom turn you into a sissy. And that was triggering because I used to hear that shit all the time growing up. Uh, you know, my grandmother and my mom raised me, for those of you who don't know. And by the way, I, I share my entire story on episode one, season one uh, of the podcast. So you can go and, you know, listen to that and hear a little bit more about you, boy, Dan White Hodge. Um, but yeah, it, and, and it was just because those were the sayings, right, that people were, that I grew up on because people were saying that I wasn't man enough. Right. And in a lot of cishet male world, you can't really show emotions outside of anger and rage. Right. Um, you know, you're not allowed to say, oh, I'm sad or I'm depressed. I mean, there was no depression. Me growing up, especially in the 70s and 80s, um, there was, you know, there wasn't words around depression. Right. There wasn't words around anxiety and stress, um, uh, feeling, you know, anxious about certain, you know, certain things and whatnot. No, there wasn't any words. It was just man up get ready to do it and let's handle it right and you know my uncles would you know always say you know they you know like you got to go and have sex with a woman really good and then she's gonna go tell her friends it was you know it was like a business marketing plan right it's like you go do this over here and we're gonna hook it up and then you're gonna get more over here and you know you know your target audience and everything and you know i grew up with thinking you know for example a man's penis is the only way a woman can orgasm and you got to be able to hit it 
just right for her to orgasm. You get right, and, and that was and that was like through and through, right? Like, like I used to hear from comedians on television, like if you don't put your woman to sleep. There's something wrong with you, man. Um, and if you can't last, you know, for 30, 40 minutes, uh, you know, or an hour, you know, you, 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 you're not a man, right? You're a three, three minute killer. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, and so, you know, I was raised on some booty ass constructs of what sexuality was. And, you know, and, and let's keep it 100. I, I lived into those for many years and I'm still trying to deconstruct what that means, even in a marriage that that I've been in for 20 years, right? Um, it 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 does not go away. These things are powerful, and um, especially purity culture. Then you add in religion, right? Don't have sex before you're married. Um, you know, don't 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 mess around. God is watching. I'm just like, man, what kind of pervert is God? If God's up there watching people fucking around, right? Um, I mean that, and 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 you know, that kind of always got me like, wow, God watching, huh? Okay, okay, God, I see you, but I can't watch porn right and, and that's a whole other discussion too about you know what constitutes pornography like is playboy you know pornography is playgirl pornography is victoria's secret you know like all those things right i mean it's like you know especially as men we were just talking you, know, you just gotta just white knuckle it and if you go down there and beat your meat that that's it man you sin and everything meanwhile people's fucking around people's cheating on their spouses people's going out and you know of course back in the day you had to like go out and make an effort if you got to go pick up a you know a porn magazine or a porn film nowadays of course it's easily accessible and there's issues in with pornography you know particularly with women being abused women being sex trafficked i mean so i get that that's that i'm not i don't want to overlook that i but i do believe in a healthy way of looking at nudity and looking at explicit sexuality either on screen or in person right and now that doesn't say anything about you know where i my own preference i mean i am a monogamous person so is my partner uh we have committed to each other um and it, it, you know uh you know but uh, there's people who say you know hey we can share we can swing so again what does that mean? What does that look like? And ultimately, how do we then better understand what sexuality looks like in a theological context? Because religion tries to control sexuality all the damn time, okay? Uh, you know, and if you think about it just from a historical perspective, it was about, you know, who can and can't breed. Um, it was all about the man, uh, right? Uh, which we're still in. So many, particularly Christian evangelical women have been taught, right? That the only true area of sexuality that, that you can express is just to please your man. Excuse me, please your man. Okay. And, and the only way to achieve that is if he orgasms and if he gets it on a regular basis. Otherwise, if he doesn't get it on a regular basis, right? Um, you know, you, you risk the, you know, um, you risk having him go out and cheat, um, which is a fascinating concept. And I know a lot of people who just get married just to have sex, right? I mean, think about how many marriages have been started just because of that, like, oh, marriage. And then all of a sudden you've been told, don't ever touch your body parts, it's evil. Don't don't trust your body. The body is, is, is the flesh is weak. You're horrible, you know? And then all of a sudden, you know, on your wedding night you married and I was like, oh, Oh, you can go and do it, all those things. But if you've never been taught, if you've never understood like right how your body works, what is arousal for you? What is, um, what are your erogenous zones? I mean, all these things are things that I had to figure out, 
um you know and it came later in life damn sure didn't come um in grade school and it damn sure didn't come in no church setting right all the church knew how to do was restrict everything and anytime you restrict almost anything it is human nature study after study just continues to provide data like this right that anytime you restrict something you say no to the cookie jar right don't put your hand in the cookie jar people innately are attracted to that cookie jar doesn't matter even what's in it you just told me not to do it now i'm curious like what what what's going to go on what's what's happening and especially if you say oh these are the naughty parts and you know these are these you know these are the i mean it, even think about some of the discourse and language around that right like bumping uglies you know we knocking boots um you know uh we doing the nasty um right i mean think about as how we refer to our genitalia right you know i'm going down to this this dirty area you know it's like you're gonna do that i mean so even some of the language that we put on that stuff is equally oppressing as well and so um yeah man i mean there's a lot of shit to 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 unpack so i was like well let me bring uh, a guest on uh, that understands this and i was on twitter one day through profane face still my account's off um and I was, was following some thread and I came across Erica Smith and I was like, wow, <laughs> this person's got it together. Um, and just some of the stuff she was saying, I was just like, oh, damn, I, we I, we got to have a conversation. So I literally just reached out uh, just through her website and she responded and I was like, oh, this is awesome um she considers herself well she now she uh, sees herself and she works as um an experienced award-winning and nationally recognized sexuality educator and provides public and private sexuality education consulting training and speaking she says she's frequently sought after as an expert on various sexuality topics by major media platforms and publications she's been a sex educator for over 20 years receiving her ba in women's studies from penn state uh, and a master's of education for widener university center for human sexuality studies she developed a uh, a whole program called the purity culture dropout you gotta check all this stuff out yo in 2019 to help people learn all of the sex education that they missed growing up in purity culture i'm telling you man this stuff is is horrible man and it particularly holds back a lot of women and men too for that matter and especially non-binary trans lgbtq folks right sex ed that is accurate this is what she uh she refers to queer inclusive trauma informed okay that's a big one compassionate and comprehensive uh, for the majority of her career, she has provided comprehensive sex education, HIV prevention services, and support for young women and LGBTQ plus youth detained in Philadelphia's juvenile uh, justice system. Uh, she's also supported transgender youth and their families since 2022. Her areas of expertise are purity culture recovery, folks, purity culture recovery, queer health, LGBTQ plus issues, adolescent sexuality, and sexual uh, health, LGBTQ plus uh, youth, uh, the sexual health needs of justice involved, youth and sex education for children. Yo, Erica was bringing it, and I was like, "This is the, this is the type of person I I I, I did just love having on the show, especially because they weren't raised." Uh, she wasn't raised in, in in like a religious environment so she has a completely different perspective so she understands it she understands the mess that's in there um 
But, you know, it, she was she didn't necessarily get raised in that. She's going to talk more about that uh, in our interview. So, um, yeah, enjoy this conversation, man. Uh, she is based in Philadelphia, but she conducts work virtually uh, with clients all over the world. She does amazing. She's on uh, Instagram. She posts some amazing stuff um, on there. Yeah, when the last post she put down, at least as the recording of this, uh, this was on 12-3-21. Uh, she puts in quotes, uh, talk, uh, talking back to purity culture uh, is a hilarious name for a book that still advises you to go on a long walk or cold shower instead of masturbate. Um, she's had a post here on Instagram that says people often ask me if soul ties are real. The answer, I don't know. Do you believe they're real? This is like asking me if God is real. I'm a sex educator, not a spiritual advisor. But here's what I do know. The idea of soul ties is rooted in beliefs about sexual purity and used to shame us out of sex. It's also stigmatizing to the partners we choose. There's often language of taking on another person's trauma via sex. Who among us doesn't have trauma? Do we not deserve partners? Can we not enact emotional boundaries? Do the soul ties only happen with P in the V or do other forms of sex cause it too? I'm not saying every partner in all sex is good for us. If your gut instincts raises red flags about a person, don't have sex with them. Also ask, does believing in a soul tie benefit you? Who does it benefit? Is it a, better, a, a belief that feels good slash useful? Or does it just fuel shame? The concept is always framed as negative. What if it's positive to deeply connect with multiple human other human beings? Why must it take why, why must it take from slash harm us? Ooh, doggies. I'm telling y'all. Um, here's another one purity culture brain i can't trust myself when it comes to matters of sexual attraction only god i don't know what i want maybe i'm just confused others say that god intends me to be straight and or cisgendered so that's what i am sex positive reframe you know what's in your heart where your attractions lie who you feel romantically or sexually drawn to or if you feel romantically and sexually drawn to people at all other people can't know this for you. You are the one who knows those answers and you get to decide what labels you use. Woo-wee! Fam, that's some deep shit. You need to begin to reframe some of these ideas around and notions around purity culture and how we view sexuality and that, you know, others, right, understand what is right for you. Um, she has another one. Imagine being a pro-life governor who bans mask mandates in schools during the rise of a dangerous variant when kids don't have access to vaccines. Conservative Christians continue to fuck around and find out. Golly, fam. Here's one more. Hey, did you know that sexuality is a magic thing that happens to you the instant you turn 18 and or when the officiant says you're married? Just kidding. No, it doesn't. So let's stop acting like it. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's part of the, again, part of the problem, right? It's like, again, folks who are in charge try to tell you how to live your sex life. Oh my God. Um, I love this, right? And then she talks a lot about, you know, abortion. Of course, that, you know, that that whole thing is right now. Woo, women's 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 accessibility to healthcare is just it's it's horrible um and 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 she also has been on some different podcasts as well um so i'm just excited to have her on the show so folks educate yourself learn more about this um and maybe you're listening to this right now kind of like on the dl because you know folks have told you you shouldn't be doing this but you got another thought on this so 
dig in. <laughs> dig in, enjoy, and check this conversation out. All right, here we go, fam. Perfect. Oh my gosh. Well, Erica, thank you so much for taking the time uh coming on to the show. And yeah, I just appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. Happy to be here. Um, well, I start every show out by asking the basic question. Uh, and I'm curious myself, what has been happening from birth to now for you? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> the basics. The basics. Oh, let's right. see. So I will do I will do a short version of this. Okay. Um, All right. All right. So I was born in the late 1970s in rural Pennsylvania. All right. Um, in a very small, like mountain town. And as a young person, I always felt like I was needing to leave because I, I just felt like everyone there was incredibly conservative and, mm. and they were, and they still are. Um, so I have lived in Philadelphia now for about close to 20 years. Um, in between, I, I went to school for women's and gender studies and became a sex educator. And that is what I've been doing ever since my college years. And that's what I do now. So I have um, my own business as a sex educator. But before I went into business for myself, I worked only doing sex ed with um, young people in juvenile detention in Philadelphia. So wow. I was inside the Philly juvenile justice system, working with young people who had what we considered like the highest risks for unintended sexual health outcomes. So basically any kid that comes into contact with the juvenile justice system falls into that category. Um, Cause you have a lot of kids with uh histories of trauma and violence and neglect and abuse. You have kids who have been involved in, in sex trafficking or doing sex work. You have, you know, a lot of lack of information and education about sex and bodies and violence. Um, so, yeah, so that was my, that was my main gig for a really, really long time. And I still feel like it's one of the most important things I've ever done. Um, it's, always like it's just a huge part of who I am that work yeah so that kind of catches us up to modern times and I'm um I focus a lot of my sex ed work now on people who were raised in evangelical purity culture mm. well that's what initially caught my attention I I'm forgetting who you were replying to on Twitter and I was like oh I gotta get this person on the show this is this is awesome um well tell me a little bit about that because I think I grew up in evangelical settings I definitely don't identify as an evangelical anymore um but there's still that um residue if you will um mm -hmm. how, it, well let me let me stop by this I got I got a thousand questions here but uh <laughs> at least a hundred um but <laughs> let me ask by saying okay why sex? What was it about the sex education, right? I mean, I've taught in public schools and, and that's been kind of like a taboo, the third rail, if you will, to talk about. Yeah. And, you know, I've had parents talking about, what are you teaching my kids in there? I mean, how, yeah, why sex? And then I'm going to follow that up, but I'm, I'm very curious about this one. Yeah, so this is truly, I don't know, it came to me in such an organic way. When I was a kid, I can look back now and see that I had a 
really deep sense of like justice and right and wrong. And I would get so emotionally worked up over things like sexism and racism. And I was little and, you know, I was also living in a pretty much all white working class small town where no one really talked about those things. But, you know, if I saw them on TV or if I learned about them in school, I would just be like, oh my gosh, I was like so, so moved and like mad about things that other people didn't seem to be mad about. So in my, when it was time to go to college, the only thing that interested me as a major was women's studies. Mm -hmm. And that was something I found, um, (laughs) you know, before everything was online and colleges sent big ass books to (laughs) your guidance counselor. Right. Right. I was like flipping through the big ass book and I was like, <laughs> what's my major in? And, you know, it's like psychology and sociology and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And when I found women's studies, I was like, that's what I, what I care about. It was all about like studying inequality and socioeconomic stuff and intersectionality and all that. So when I was taking those classes, it was just, I don't know, the, the way that women were treated around sex and not just about like the act of having sex with others, but the way women's bodies were just being policed by everyone all the time. Um, that was something that just like really bothered me, <laughs> even yeah. as a young person. Yeah. And I could also see, I went to a small high school with my graduating class was about a hundred people. And we had I would say about a 10th of the class um, became parents before we graduated. So at least 10 of my peers um, were pregnant or were, you know, the partner of a pregnant girl. So I was just like, why, why doesn't anyone use condoms? Why doesn't anyone know about sex? So I was just seeing this stuff around me and sex to me was just this normal thing that everyone was weird about. And I'm like, but it's part of everyone's life. It's part of everyone's life. And it's in our, it's saturated in our media and culture, Mm -hmm. but we like are so afraid to talk about it. And so, yeah, that's kind of how that happened for me. I was always, always the like friend who would give other friends advice about like condoms and going to Planned Parenthood. And yeah, I was, I was, it was young. It was young for me. No, I I love that. That's awesome. I mean, I think I always appreciated my mom's just open conversations that we would have, right, regarding, you know, sex and sexuality. I definitely appreciated that because, I mean, I grew up in a small, rural uh, Texas community that, you know, everything was pretty much, quote unquote, black and white. It was a binary. And there was, uh, of course, there was all kind of stuff going on and people weren't talking about this stuff. But, um yeah, there was there was you know there was a strong sense right of Christianity in there. Um, well, how have you navigated, especially? And I ask this of, of of most people that that come on the show. You know, the 2016 election. I really feel that it 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 ruptured what a lot of us already knew was happening. It's just now out everywhere. Um, and you know, then you have the Brett Kavanaugh, you know, trial, not even trials, but just the hearings. And that of course raised up all kind of thing. We did like two major events on our campus and, you know, folks, I mean, it was packed, right? Jam packed with folks just sharing and everything. How have you navigated some of those conversations now? Um, and, uh, 
Yeah, let me let me start by that. Like, you know, especially in the era that we find ourselves in. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um damn. I mean I'm like, those are really hard events that I wish I could forget. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> because everything that comes after it is also like a hard event. You know how the last few years have just been full of them. So I'm like, oh mm-hmm. yeah, that Kavanaugh thing really wasn't that long ago. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, Those conversations were so difficult to navigate. And I feel Mm. like for those of us who are old enough to remember Anita Hill and what they did to Anita Hill, I feel like it was so important to bring that context back for younger people and talk to them about all of that. You know, like this isn't this isn't new. Um, it's not the same exact thing, but you know, our our Supreme Court has has been in this situation before. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it really brought up co- the consent conversation has really grown in our culture in the last few years. Um, me too, of course, having a huge amount to do with that, and yeah, this this stuff with um, Kavanaugh and even the stuff with our former president, it, it it's, I don't know. It's so wild to me how all of that was coming up at the same time that we're talking about the Me Too movement, yet we were so eager as a society to push it away and just keep moving. Right. I think that's what, uh, yeah, that's what got me. I mean, I knew, Kavanaugh would would get you know confirmed I mean I just I it was like well of course this is the era that we're in I mean it's like people just don't give an f what mm-hmm. got me was the rhetoric around that right and especially when it came to so I've worked with teens uh, well over 25 years and uh one of the things uh, as I'm I know you know uh is date rape is very very common right it's like the guy the you know the stereotype of the notion of the the old man in the park with you know it's naked under his coat I mean I don't think I ever ran into any of those those type of things most of the things that I was engaged with was I knew this guy he was on the football team he's very popular I mm-hmm. said no. He he kept going, and now we're in this situation. And so, what what are some of the things that, as you've engaged with that, and just particularly how do, how does past trauma haunt our current sexual um, identity or sexual just you know just ideology, if you will? Yeah. Well, that that one is that is a huge um, issue right there. The the like if you have experienced assault or you have experienced a consent violation, even if you're not naming it as assault personally, um, this is where I would even bring purity culture into the conversation because everyone learns that, you know, just to talk in like gendered terms, like just the binary male, female to speak in that term, like we all learn that women are supposed to be the gatekeepers of their bodies and that men are always trying to push them into sex and that boys will be boys and all that, you know, stereotypical bullshit. But if you're (laughs) raised in purity culture, it's like not even a subtle message. It is a very, very clear, like you are responsible for the sexual temptations of others. You are responsible for their 
feelings for their desires. So if you are dressed a certain way or acting a certain way, like you are making men stumble. So, I mean, the way that stuff affects people is it is like a deep, deep, like trauma in their bodies where they have been conditioned their whole lives to believe that they have the power and responsibility for other people's sexual behavior. And that if they have experienced a violation in any way, like they can't be upset about it because it's their fault. Mm. And that, that, I mean, people carry that stuff for ever mm. and it can take, you know, that is, that is where therapy comes in and believing that, you know, people have their own sexual agency and that you are not responsible for everyone else's. And to think about that challenges everything about our society. And a lot of people aren't ready to do that, you know? Right, right. That's a big, big thing to to be like, wait a minute, this is all built upon a really shitty premise in the first place. Whoo, the shitty premise. <laughs> I, I, that's because... Oh, my God. All right. Again, just a, another two dozen questions just popped up. But let me start with this one. So purity culture, because this is a thing that keeps coming up all over the place. I mean, I'm on mm -hmm. a, a private Christian campus um, college and this stuff pops up, if not weekly, definitely daily. Um, and well, let, let me stop by asking you or start by asking you what how do you define purity culture? Um, what's yeah, what's 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 that for you in 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 your in your context? Yeah, that's a great question, because I feel like there are levels to it. Um, purity culture is, you know, putting emphasis on the virginity of women and limiting, you know, the sexual partners of women, that is not a new concept. That is something that has been tied to pretty much all major world religions, most major world religions. But when we talk about it lately in, in our country, I believe we're talking about the very specific movement, the American, like white American evangelical purity movement that really cut, got going, um, in response to the AIDS epidemic, in response to um, conservative presidents in our country, in response to the religious right gaining political power. That is, when I think of purity culture and what most people are talking about in the context of my work, it's the movement that occurred, gained steam at that time. And then for people who were young in the 90s and early 2000s, bombarded them with all of this cultural messaging through their um, churches, through their schools, through their youth groups. And it wasn't even just through Christian schools. I mean, I've heard of people receiving these abstinence only purity tinged lessons in public schools, um, encouraging people to sign pledges and to pledge their virginity to their husband, their future spouse, um, the, the daddy daughter dances where you basically pledge your virginity to your father and say oh. that it's his, it, yeah. it, the, the dynamics there. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. and all of that, um, you know, the, the Joshua Harris book, I kissed dating goodbye that yeah. everyone yeah. is, you know, read. And that was when I think of purity culture, it's that moment in time that, 
basically took all of these older values and like supercharged them and made young people feel like their only value was sexual purity, especially young women, and basically terrified people about a completely normal, healthy part of the human experience. That is, you've, uh, you've summed up like 98% of the youth groups uh, <laughs> that I have known over the last, I don't know, two decades. I mean, there was so much, oh my gosh, that's so embedded, right? The embedment. I always tell students like, you know, ideology is, is, is something that's so deep within us that it, it, you know, like we go to war over ideologies, right? It's like, there's a sense that, you know, no human right possesses like you know it's like okay i can kind of get darth vader he had the you know he had the force and you know he could lift people and throw them around but no other human has that it's like say what causes somebody right to follow a dictator or someone that we've now you know deemed as like oh my gosh like this person was horrible a horrible human being what's ideology right it's like kind of that buried Mm -hmm. deep down inside of us driving it what is some of the fallout that you've seen that affects both, right, uh, male and females and, and in our LGBTQ uh, family as well? Oh, From purity fallout. culture. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. The fallout is, oh, my gosh. Like, it is, I'm imagining it visually as, like, an incredibly deep crater <laughs> that we are just starting to understand the depth of. Mm. So there are... Um, You know, I want to start with purity culture is really, really hard on women um, because it makes women, the it gives women the responsibility for everyone else's sexual behavior and codes the female body as the like dangerous, lascivious, sinful thing. So um, there's that. And a lot of women who were raised in purity culture feel like they they can't trust their bodies, that their bodies aren't inherently bad, that they have been disconnected from their own bodies for their entire, you know, ever since they got this messaging, which for some people is from childhood. Um, a lot of just plain disinformation or lack of information about basic sexual function. Um, A lack of sex ed that covers important areas such as relationships, communication, pleasure, Um, purity culture slash abstinence only sex ed is very problem focused. So it's like, here are the bad things that are going to happen if you have sex. And then it's a focus on STIs, pregnancy and like, you know, damaging your soul, essentially. So it's like viewing sex through this really narrow negative lens um this causes folks to have unhealthy relationships with their own bodies unhealthy relationships with their partners an inability to communicate with their partners feeling shame every time they have a sexual thought or feeling feeling shame after having sex feeling shame after masturbating um not knowing how to talk to a doctor about their sexual health. Um, And then like this also, this stuff happens for men as well. I've worked with a bunch of men who were taught that like every sexual thought and feeling they have is, is satanic. So they don't even feel comfortable identifying a woman they find attractive. They don't feel comfortable approaching a woman 
to ask her on a date because they feel predatory because they've been taught that they can't trust their minds and that their minds are just constantly full of, you know, sinful thoughts that are going to basically lead them down the path of hell. Um, And then not to mention like what does happen to people that are queer or trans is like your existence isn't even acknowledged. Um, So learning that, for people who experience attraction to the same gender, it's like, I know it's framed as struggling with same sex attraction. So it's like framed as a struggle that you have to overcome and the the massive amount of shame that heaps on people. Um, it delays a lot of folks really getting in touch with their own genuine attractions. Um, it delays folks from coming out um, yeah. So that that's a good sample. That's a good sample. Yeah. Of this stuff. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, I think that's I mean, I heard that over and over and over and over. Right. It's, it's just like, you know, you you know, the 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 body is weak. The flesh is weak. You know, don't you know, your eyes are coveted. I, you know, I grew up in a very rigid, fundamental black Seventh-day Adventist environment and it was all about you know you could never trust your body so if you had some sort of an erection or some type of an arousal or something like that that was the devil creeping in and if you allow that you have sinned and so there was always this set now needless to say (laughs) uh all the guys that I was hanging out with at that time you know have all cheated on their wives um all (laughs) had multiple right partner relationships have gotten divorced a couple times. And so it's it right. There was this sense that well, we're not going to put that out there. But what happens in the back? And then I recently had a friend who had a a a, um, a mutual friend of ours. They were bo- both of them were friends. They were married. She had her husband, you know, cheat on her. And what she was being told was, well, you just have to give him time. Let him get it out of his body. And, it, you know, he'll he'll be all right. Just turn to God. Right. God can be your your spouse for now. <laughs> how as a as a therapist, how damaging is is some of those right? Those kind of these pseudo therapeutic ways <laughs> of putting the blame back on women or asking women to stay in abusive relationships. I mean, it just removes the power it's it's just telling women once again just give up your power like you don't have a voice here you should just allow your husband to continue treating you this way um yeah it's let him get through it i mean here's the thing when i hear that stuff i'm like so much of this could be avoided like the cheating and the if we taught people from childhood that their bodies weren't the enemy and that their desires weren't the enemy and also taught them how to talk to each other about their their relationships and to communicate with partners and to be uh, you know not ashamed of finding another person attractive when you're married because it's just how our brains work you know what i mean um whew, yeah Yeah, that's, yeah, telling everyone that, like, you know, your husband will work it out. You just have to rely on God during that time. Like, if if that's folks' faith, I understand, but I also don't want the the partner who was, you know, cheated on to be that powerless or to be told that she has no power in any in any way. 
Yeah. I and I I asked that because I see that I didn't I didn't originally catch that growing up. I just assumed, especially as a male, a cishet male, um, right? It just assumed this is right. I talk about particularly male privilege and just kind of you know just male supremacy in general especially mm-hmm. cishet male supremacy, I talk about it much like white supremacy, right? It's just kind of like, you know, you're you're swimming around in this water. You breathe it. Yes. <laughs> it's yeah. everywhere you breathe. It's everywhere you go. So, because this is what I get back from a lot of males in regards to this era that we're in. It's like, oh, you can't say anything now. And, oh, man, these bees be tripping all the time, man. And, man, why they got to be so sensitive, man? Like, man, I'm not, you know, I'm not, it's like, how have you navigated some of those questions in 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 because you know that that's rooted in something else right that's rooted in you know kind of this pushback right it's the same thing that white people say well how come i can't you know (laughs) recite the lyrics of 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 a rap artist and say the n-word or how come you know like you know all those police they weren't targeting them he shouldn't have been walking around that neighborhood you know so um yeah how you know what are what are some of those things and and i and i and i ask you in twofold like as a clinician, but then also on the outside uh, of that environment as, as an advocate. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I know that was long. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Let me think about that for a minute. Um, I mean, you you said something that is part of the answer here when you were like the, you know, the, the patriarchal stuff is as ingrained in us as the white supremacist stuff. And it's all the same shit propping each other up, right? Yeah. Like one couldn't exist without the other. They both are are up there. And I I mean, there they're gonna be people that just don't want to fucking hear that. I don't know if you have to bleep out my curse. <laughs> ain't, no, ain't no bleeps in this profane face. Ain't no bleeps okay. up in this. Yeah. I mean, I find that when I'm working with a client, sometimes it is so helpful to do that education piece and be like, you you have been affected by like systems that have been in place ever since you know humans started creating civilizations mm-hmm. and those systems are who do they benefit how do they affect you and getting clients to think critically about that stuff can be so liberating mm-hmm. you know it's like the key to them being like wait a minute like and then they get pissed they're like you mean i have been like like, for example, like the idea of compulsory heterosexuality, where yeah. everyone is just like, we just assume everyone's straight. We groom them to be straight. So if you're not straight, sometimes it takes a really long time to figure that out. And when you teach that concept to people who have been affected by it, they're usually like, what the fuck? And they're like, <laughs> so yep. Yep. They, it's like t- taking the veil away and then they're furious. And then that helps them yes. make it helps them deal with their own struggles. Um, And then there, you know, the larger issue of like educating the masses about this stuff, you know, as well as I do, that there are some people who just are so much more comfortable not acknowledging that stuff because it's a threat to their very standing. It's a threat to their power. It's a threat to their existence. So they will do everything they can to make you look like you are, just this like batshit lefty <laughs> wing nut. Yes. Yes. <laughs> when you're when you're just trying to point out like no, these are actual like 
systemic things that we continue to perpetuate and here's how they've grown and affected people. And, you know, there are going to be people that never want, they can't possibly take a look at that stuff because it would topple their sense of security and their position where they, they want to still be the white people that say shitty things. And they want to still be the men that like, you know, touch women in the office. Like, right. People, you know, we cling to that little bit of power. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And, and, and you're right. I mean, so much of it is power, right? The, you know, the power to control. I mean, I heard our provost just uh, on Friday at our division meeting. Uh, there's a woman uh, of my colleague of mine, you know, who's tenured full professor. She's been at the university 30 some odd years. She's talking about a particular policy and she knows like this thing inside and out. Like yeah, you just, you you ain't going, you ain't going, you quiz her on it all day long. And the mm-hmm. provost who just got there, <laughs> he's been there all of, you know, a few weeks, is trying to tell her, right, what the policy is, is. And she's like, oh, no, and like she's citing president and everything. And I'm like <laughs> typing in the chat because, we you know, we moved our meetings online and stuff. I'm typing uh-huh. in the chat. I'm just like, brah, Nancy <laughs> is right. <laughs> she's got the point. She's known this stuff. Like, just stop, bro. Like. And that and it, but I feel like it happens so quickly for us as men. What is it, particularly with cishet males, that there's that sense of power, that sense of I don't know, I don't know, I don't even know if I'm putting it right. I mean, that's why I wanted to ask you as a therapist. Like <laughs> as 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 we as cishet men, I feel like there's a sense of like this ego and and power that when it gets tripped up, it can turn violent in in, in an instant. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. And, I, mean, I don't know if that makes sense. It does make sense. Um, I do want to clarify. I'm not a therapist. Um, I'm like an. I have a master of education instead oh, yeah, of a. Okay. All right, yeah, 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 yeah. Instead of like a clinical degree, I'm a gotcha. you know, educator. But what I, I mean, because men, I'm white men in particular, are raised to believe that everything belongs to them mm. <laughs> and that they are on top. So any little bit of chipping away at that, it, I mean, it is terrifying the way you're right. Like the way it causes like for some people such violent, violent reactions. And I think that's why we use the terms male fragility and white fragility, because when you were used to being at the top of the food chain, anything other people getting what you have feels like inequality when nobody's trying to take your shit away. They're just trying to also have some stuff. I like that. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. Cause I, because I mean, it comes up right. The same way it comes up with like mass killers. Like, oh, I, they were so quiet. I never, I never saw that coming. It's like the same thing when, you know, particularly again, as cishet males mm-hmm. just go nuclear, and it's like, well, I don't, I can't ever believe that. Really, they they did that because I don't know. It's it, and it's something that I have been trying to undo in my own upbringing and my own ideological structure. Uh, my partners definitely helped me, and she has been more than gracious to try to, you know, help. Like, oh yeah, well this is, you know, this is part of that mommy tax. Oh yeah, well this is part of kind of the the assumption, right? Of of, of particularly against cishet males to assume, well the woman should take care of that, or the woman should handle these type of things. Um, 
Well, let me ask you this: in in regards to religion, what how's been what's been your relationship to religion, spirituality, theology, however you want to put it? Um, just as you know, as you've approached all this, that's such a. I love getting asked this question because. I did not grow up in purity culture. I did not grow up in a church. I'm not, I, I like, I'm always like, I'm an, I'm an outsider to yes. these conversations. Um, <laughs> so my family is what I would consider casually Christian. You know, we like say a prayer before Easter dinner. We celebrate Christian holidays, um, mostly in a commercialized way. Yeah. And when, when people die, we are like, you know, grandma's in heaven. Like that's how I learned of religion as a kid. So I didn't, I didn't go to church as a kid. Every once in a while I go with a friend to like vacation Bible school or something. Um, So I was not raised with a scary God and I was not raised to think that there was anything wrong with me. So all that doctrine about like original sin and stuff like that, like, pass me way on by. Um, and I realize that is a privilege now. <laughs> it's something I think of as, as one of my privileges is that mm. I was not, I was not indoctrinated young to believe all of this like harmful or hurtful theology that, you know, basically said I was not to trust my body um, or that I was just sinful. So yeah, I've always been, I guess the technical word for me would be agnostic. Um, I am. Yeah. (laughs) I don't even know. I've like, I work with clients who span the spectrum of, of religion. Some people come to me and they are fully deconstructed and they're pissed. They're like, I'm an atheist. I'm a witch. Like, and then I work with people that are Christians and they're like, yeah, I, I, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm just not a white American evangelical, like Pat Robertson type. And, you know, so there's people come to me in all different. I've worked with folks who are Muslim. I've worked with folks that were raised in like very conservative Jewish traditions. Um, some, you know, Mormons, people that were raised in cults. So anyone, I'm, I'm welcome anyone. Um, but yeah, my personal, my personal thing is that I've never had much of a connection to religion, which I feel like is a advantage in my work because I don't get as like upset and triggered and I don't have that like, yeah, personal feelings about purity culture in the way that who was raised in it do. So I can look at it from a, an outside perspective And I've heard from my clients that that's helpful to them because they will tell me things that they were told in church and I react to them with appropriate horror. And they say, wow, it was really helpful to see you be so upset about that because everyone around me acted like that was normal. Um, You know, for example, like policing the clothing of small children or like not letting girls wear spaghetti straps when they're 10 you know what i mean and i'm like that's really fucking weird and they're like thank you for reflecting that that's weird so yeah that's my relationship it's definitely a step back i'm i'm from the outside on this 
I love that. I, and, and, and that, because you're right, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's been, it's been very freeing. Uh, the folks that I've talked with, right, who come from that. And because you're right, you can see it from an outside. You can see things that we haven't. I mean, that's right. That's the whole thing. It's kind of the veil is there. And you're just like, wait, I just thought that was normal. I think that was the biggest thing as I was even yeah. coming into my own understanding of religion and theology and learning more about how the Bible was put together. Right. Uh, I'm just like, wait, I just thought that that was normal. I just assumed that was just the way it should be right yeah and when everyone talks about like the bible is the word and and like even as a kid i would be like but why <laughs> you know yeah. or but how or but who wrote it um yeah i feel like even if i had been brought into it at a very young age i i still would have been like yeah Absolutely. No, absolutely. And I think there's more more people like that. But again, the ideology around I don't want to burn in hell keeps you right. Kind of like, well, I don't. Yeah, I don't. OK. All right. Well, I guess so. I guess that's what you got to be. Right. And I've I have gotten very close and made good friends with folks who were raised evangelical now, um, you know, mostly people who have deconstructed and some of whom are doing work in this area. And I learn so much from them. I always tell my clients that I learn just as much from them as they learn from me. Because like, I mean, I knew as a sex educator, who's someone who's been a sex educator for over 20 years, I knew that abstinence only education was failing. I knew that even, you know, studies have showed for decades that it doesn't work. So I knew that, but I did not know how purity culture is so interwoven with just like the theology in general of like your body is this, it doesn't even matter. Like it's this kind of trash thing that you just exist in and everything, your spiritual health is the important thing. And like, I didn't know all that. I didn't know that's how people were raised. I didn't know that's what people were taught. So like, I have close friends now who were telling me like, yeah, when I was, five, I was terrified of going to hell. So everything I did as a five-year-old was in service of me not going to hell. And I'm like, <laughs> holy shit. Like I, I never knew about that side of, of like fundamentalist religion. I think you're right. And that's the, that's the part of it. It's like in, in, and again, I hate to keep harping on, you know, on on religion and whatnot, but I think because it's so embedded, because even in churches, right, that I've seen non-denominational or progressive or, uh, you know, affirming, right, even churches that, you know, say, oh, we're affirming, but, you know, however you identify, you better be in a monogamous relationship or no masturbating and... <laughs> It's, you know, right. all those, right, all those, it's, it's like, well, wait a minute, we're still kind of placing the same things on folks. I remember when I heard about this group, this is when I was in grad school, this group that was, you know, doing outreach to the porn industry and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, they kind of had the look and the edge and all this stuff. And I was like, but then once I started scratching just a little bit and seeing kind of their theology, I was like, wow, this is no different than a Joel Osteen or a Pat Roberts, any of these cats, right, that would say yeah. it, it just needed to scratch it a little bit. And it was kind of like you're still the pig with lipstick, if you will. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so um, so what are some liberating things that you would suggest in regards? Because I don't think we hear enough of that. A, a large part of my audience are ex-evangelicals, folks mm -hmm. who are deconstructing their faith. And, for example, masturbation, right? Like most people... 
will think, oh my gosh, that's sin. How could I have touched myself? And my uncle used to always tell me, right? You go to the bathroom, you shake it more than twice. You're masturbating and that's a sin. And I, you know, and I grew up with that for a long yeah. freaking time. So yeah. what are some of the liberating thoughts or works that you've put out there in regards to that? If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Um, I mean, one of the things that I encourage people to do when they are, if, if folks have acknowledged that religious teachings around sexuality have affected them and that they feel, you know, like some kind of struggle or some kind of brokenness because of it. One of the things that I think is important is to really interrogate what values you were taught versus like, what are the values you actually believe about sex? So, you know, nobody, everyone has been given a set of sexual values by their church or their family. Do those values actually fit you? What if you created your own values and, and were given yourself permission to do that? So I have a workbook that I created called the sexual values workbook. And it's specifically for this. And in it, I break down the vast topic of sexuality into different, you know, it's like different little bite-sized pieces and really ask folks to think like, do you believe that masturbation is harmful? Um, where did you learn this? Do you accept or reject this value? What do you personally think about masturbation? Um, do you believe that monogamy is the only relationship um, style that is okay? Why, why or why not? Um, you know, like that kind of giving yourself permission mm -hmm. to interrogate this stuff yeah. can be a really, really important first step. Because like we were just talking about, like accepting everything in the Bible as fact, um, you know, a lot of people are like, well, it just is like, it just is wrong. It just is wrong to like give yourself sexual pleasure. And when you start interrogating that, um, I believe it falls apart. Um, and, and in addition to interrogating your own values, getting some quality sex education where you can learn about the actual science and sociological stuff and cultural stuff about sex. Like that information combined with giving yourself permission to change your mind is really powerful. So like learning about our, why do our genitals have nerve endings? Um, when does it start to feel good to touch your body? children touch their bodies and it's not like in a some kind of sinful way it's just like because it feels good to touch our skin <laughs> it feels good to touch that part of our bodies um who is harmed if you do that like you know and dispelling the myths like no it is not going to affect your relationship with your future wife or something if you touch yourself and like in addition to the the values that people learn about sex from their churches, a lot of times it's paired with straight up misinformation and lies about sex education. You know, like the lie that um, watching pornography is gonna damage your brain. That is not a scientific finding. Um, I know it's been purported as a scientific finding. The lie that you know, having sex means you're going to get an STI. No, it doesn't. Right. <laughs> There's yeah. so much, so much more nuance involved. So all that to say, 
quality, actual, real sex education combined with giving yourself permission to interrogate your own values. And that is basically what my work with clients is. I love that. That is, that's awesome. Even just listening to you talk about that is feels a sense of liberation, right? Just to be in the deconstruction of that. Cause that for me, and I'll speak for myself has been, uh, the biggest part is just giving myself permission. I felt like I lived in a world of, even though I was told, Oh, in Christ, you're free and Jesus is it's freedom in Christ. Oh, hell no. There was all kinds of fucking, you know, rules and boundaries and that you would, you know, overstep. And so and definitely porn was at the top of that. And I remember hearing that statistic or that all oh, the studies have found that this is this and this and that. And I remember asking, like, well, we're especially once I, you know, got, you know, got in my Ph.D., I was just like, well, who, who, where, where did this research come in? And, and who was the lead researcher on this? Where did the funding come from? What was the standard deviation? What are you know, right? It's like, what, what were some things in this study? Right. And so much of it, right, is much like the science we had 200 years ago that said the, right, the Caucasian race, the Eurocentric race was above and superior, um, was just debunked. I mean, Whew. Well, let me ask you this. Like what? I mean, and I know everybody's different. I don't want to ask you that particular thing, but I know everybody's different. But what are some themes that you notice just in, in the work that you do in regards to, uh, I don't want to say sexual hangups, but some of the things that get that we get stuck on? Like, I love what The Matrix says. I'm rewatching The Matrix because, you know, the new one's coming out and everything. So I was, I was like, let me get through all of them again. Let me re refresh my memory. I, I'm kind of a nerd like that. Um <laughs> But it, it says, you know, the mind has trouble letting go of things, right? It's like there's sometimes people are just oh yeah. too far, right? You know, the mind has trouble, you know. And so I, in, in my own deconstruction, I'm like, am I just, am I holding on? Like, why am I holding on to this thing so mm -hmm. tightly? And, and what are some of those things that you've noticed that folks are just, it, yeah, um, who that there there are so many of them. In fact, when I when I start working with clients, I ask them, like, what are you struggling with the most right now? And how do you think the teachings you received about sex have affected you? So some, some themes I hear are, you know, people who shame has become attached to any kind of sexual pleasure for them. So even if they're like in a relationship that's committed and sometimes even in a marriage, they feel like shit after they have sex, they feel guilty. They feel shame. They like experience like this drop in their mood. Um, or they feel like their pleasure, this comes up for women, um, their sexual pleasure isn't actually that important um, because no one talks about pleasure in the church teachings about sex. No one talks about pleasure and purity culture. It's like, that's a frivolous, you know, it doesn't matter kind of thing. Um, so admitting or acknowledging or accepting that like they also deserve pleasure and that getting pleasure isn't a path to hell. <laughs> um, another thing people get hung up on is sometimes it's church related, but I also know in American society and pop culture, we press these narratives about sex that are so inaccurate. And one of them is that like, there has to be a certain number of times that a couple has sex regularly in order to be normal or healthy. So people get Ooh. hung up on that. Like, Ooh. oh, I haven't had sex in like a month. What's And I'm like, that doesn't mean anything's wrong with you. Couples have very different standards. Some couples are happy with 
infrequent. Some couples are happy with frequent. There's no normal. Um, we also get the narrative that men always want to have sex um, and that women shouldn't want it as much. So if you have a straight couple where the woman has a higher sex drive or the man isn't in the mood, they think that means there's something terribly wrong with them, um, which isn't always true. Like we all have variations in our desire and in our, you know, how quickly we become aroused. Um, so like the gendered stereotypes we learn are definitely things that people have a hard time letting go of because that's just like conditioning from everywhere. Mm -hmm. That is, woo, man. Yeah. You, yeah, you heard, you hit on some things there. I mean, I think that's again, especially as men, right. We're taught like you have to always, want sex and i think that was jarring for me you know when i first got married was like oh i why why don't i always desire sex why why are, am i not craving it every hour mm -hmm. um and you know and and and, th and even you know trying to process it that with you know you think before you kind of come into things, well, let me go talk to somebody who, okay, the pastor, right? Let me go talk to the pastor who's usually a man who's probably been brought up, right, in kind of these settings and stuff and, and, and you know, will just repeat uh, more of some of that same um, <laughs> ideological uh, uh, trite, if you will. But, well, let me well, let me go back to this and, and how going back to porn, because I know that's that's where a lot of folks get hung up. And I include myself yeah. in that as well. Yeah. How have you seen, you know, because we really talk about, you know, is are there any benefits to pornography? And I know that that's a, a, a that that term can be everything. Right. Some people consider yeah. Sports Illustrated, the swimsuit magazine pornography. Right. Um, so how is that or just in general? human nudity because i know that tends to just make someone uh -huh. just uncomfortable in general it's just like human nudity i looking back i can't tell you how many uh, you know i played sports in high school and everything how many of my guy friends would change inside their locker or would hide themselves right and so much yeah. of the shame of the body that goes on even for men we hear a lot about it with women but it's like you know for men like shame of your you know your own body i know that's a different subject but anyways the porn thing i'd be curious you know how you've navigated that yeah um you you brought up in my mind a famous quote about you know how do you tell what what is porn you know is it the sports illustrated or is it something more obscene and a famous quote there was an obscenity case before the supreme court in 1964 and associate justice potter stewart wrote hardcore pornography is hard to define but quote i know it when i see it <laughs> <laughs> i know it when i see it oh, yeah that's yeah, that'll do it <laughs> Yeah. So I'm like, the Supreme Court couldn't even define it. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. That's a touche. That's a good, good reminder. Yeah. That I'd forgot. Yeah. No, when I see it. I know when I um, see it. That's scientific, right? <laughs> That'll fly in the grants, right? Right. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, porn is such a sticky, well, pun intended, <laughs> sticky subject. <laughs> Come on. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, where to start with this one? So first of all, it is normal and the human brain is wired to feel sexual arousal when we see sexual images. Um, and if you want to like 
pull back all the layers as to why that is. It's all about perpetuating the species. Like, why do we have sex? Why do we have a drive to have sex? Um, we fantasize in order to fantasy helps us become sexually aroused, which theoretically helps us have more sex and populate the planet. Like a lot of it boils down to like, this is how our animal bodies are wired. We like to hear sexual sounds, see sexual images, find other people attractive. All of that stuff is a basic, it's a basic normal function of being human. And so people started creating sexual content since the dawn of time, since we have recorded record of, you know, since people could communicate, there's been sexually suggestive and graphic communication. Um, I remember one of the things we talked about in my graduate program was anytime a new piece of technology has been invented way back when it was like the printing press or whatever, it was used early on to distribute sexual material. And the same is true of like the internet and smartphones. And, you know, when we've got video, like, you know that they were making porns. They made silent film porns. There are silent film porns. I have seen them and they're just as funny as you can imagine. I was just saying, that's like, that just sounds like it's something on Saturday Night Live, but yeah. Oh, but it's absolutely true. I saw one, I think it was in the sex museum in Prague and it was like, you know, this guy and the maid and like, you know, everyone looks all like 1910 and yeah, so like- <laughs> It is a human drive to create sexualized images. We enjoy it and it makes us horny. Um, but yes, it is so, the conversation has to be so careful and nuanced because I don't believe that the current amount of access we have to pornography and that everyone of every age has to pornography is good. I also don't believe that watching pornography, you know, casually or because you like to look at it sometimes is the gateway to hell. There's so much gray area in between that. And for me, I always want to make sure that people have literacy around porn. So this is something that actually needs to start very early with children. Mm -hmm. Back in our day, you found porn in the woods or you found porn in someone's friend's attic. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> it was ab- yep. Yep. Here's, oh, this VHS tape in your uncle's room. Like yep. that's where you found porn. Um, it wasn't on a smartphone that you had as a 10 year old. And that is the conversation we are having now. And it, there's a big, there's a lot of sex educators who were really encouraging parents to talk to their kids about it before they ever encounter it, which means like having a conversation about an age appropriate conversation before your kid's 11. Um, And that would look like saying like, hey, there's, there's videos out there and pictures out there that show adults doing things that you might find very confusing. If you see something like that, I want you to come to me and we will talk about it. So what that does is let your kids know that if they come across that content, they're not in trouble. If they come across it, they have not done anything wrong and that you are a safe parent for them to bring this to. And then you as a parent can 
say things like, this isn't for kids. It wasn't meant for you. This isn't realistic. This is adults do things, but it doesn't look like that most of the time in real life because this is a movie. It is entertainment. The people are actors. And I don't want you thinking that this is real life. And then when the kids are older and they're like, you know, teens who were learning more about sex, um, you, you can give them more, more literacy and information about it. Like, you know, that porn by itself isn't good sex education. So I, as your parent, I'm going to help you get good sex education. So all that to say, it is an inevitability of our lives right now. It is everywhere. You can pick up your phone or your laptop and open it up and see literally any kind of scene or kink you were interested in seeing, which makes it a lot different than 20 years ago. Absolutely. So it, 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 it is not an across the board good thing for everyone to access porn. It is not an across the board good thing to consume porn without critical thinking about it and without literacy about it. Um, but it is also not a you know terrible thing. Whereas if you watch it or you like it, or if it's part of your you know masturbation or your sex life with a partner, means that you are a you know some kind of person with a diagnosable problem. Who? Again, I appreciate that. That's a very clear and it's it's a grounding right way of looking at at this rather than, again, just the binary. You're either doing it or you're not. And we'd rather have you over here because this is no sin. This is really sin. And right. And that, that, there's there's a lot of interesting right concepts around that. And I really appreciate that because that's right. That's been an ongoing conversation, right? As particularly as a cishet man. I mean, I've, I've heard that since almost I could hear words and language right from people yeah. in authority, right? It's like, oh my gosh. And meanwhile, I, I did have uncles who at, and I know our time is now, I want to be respectful of that, but you know, oh, you're fine. I'm just plugging in my laptop, so no, I'm not in a hurry. <laughs> no, pl plug away, plug away. Mine, mine does crazy things, even when it gets to like 20% battery. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I would have uncles that were like, oh, man, you know, you're 11 years old and you ain't been with a woman. Well, let's take you to the, you know, and growing up in Texas, right, they had quote-unquote whorehouses, right? They made a whole yeah. movie about it with Dolly Parton and Burt Reynolds. Best, Best little whorehouse in Texas. There it is. <laughs> there it is, right? Um, and so there was this sense that, you know, as men, we have to go out and conquer and we have to get that. Um, and that was just, again, some of the, the advice that I'm getting from my uncles. <laughs> and then you go to church and it's just like, no, 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 you know, don't wear pants that chafe. <laughs> you know, it's just like, <laughs> don't wear pants that hug your genitals too much. Right. That is sex. <laughs> right. Exactly. 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 Um, this, this is, this is great. I mean, this, this time has just flown by. Um, even as you're talking, I'm just like, okay, I got to figure out how do I get you into class? Like how we, how oh, we I would you? love to talk to a class. I love talking to classes. Yes. Well, I'm, I, I got you kind of, I really appreciate you, uh, responding, uh, to me and stuff. Cause I'm definitely going to get you into class. Um, because I think there's, we have a, a, a gender studies minor and we made it official a couple of years ago. Um, and the pushback that came back wasn't on the curriculum. Wasn't on the pedagogy, right? It was, 
are we uh, this just doesn't seem like we're teaching biblical marriage is just that like why why do we need a minor on 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 gender studies this just sounds so liberal and and are we you know i had one colleague who's just he's no longer there thank god but you know he's like this orthodox really like you know this is this is like an abomination you know and where these students are going to be learning you know these these secular you know teachings of yeah so, yeah it's just like People don't, you know, all the people that are crying about critical race theory, quote right, unquote, right. it's the same motivation where I'm like, it benefits people on top if they don't, if we don't start encouraging people to think critically about gender, you know, encouraging people to think critically about gender and systems of oppression is such a threat. Right. Just right. like people actual history about race in this country is apparently such a threat <laughs> oh my gosh well erica this has been very illuminating um what are, what are you working on and where can find folks find you they're like i gotta talk with with erica you know. yeah um so my website is very easy my website is purityculturedropout.com <laughs> but i do most of my free teaching and interacting on Instagram. So my Instagram account is Erica Smith sex ed Erica with a C. And I, um, you know, talk a lot about purity culture on there, but I am available for one-on-one -on -one sessions. I do consulting work. Um, yeah, I, I am, I do trainings like get at me. If any of this, <laughs> any of this is, is something you want to work on or learn more about. Excellent. Excellent. And as always, those listening, I'll put these in the show notes at whitehodgepodcast.com. Um, go there. There's always good material in each show. Erica, thank you so much for just talking with us and kind of helping. I'm hoping this has helped some folks. I know for me it has just deconstruct a little bit further um, their own, you know, sexual knowledge and just understanding around all of this. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. It was a really enjoyable morning and you're right this conversation did go very quickly <laughs> absolutely <laughs>